Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 23. For this episode, I'm going to discuss a case that I have already covered on my blog. It's the 2009 murder of Sarah Letterman. My sources for today's episode are Snapped, Season 9, Episode 19, which aired on October 7, 2012, Wikipedia, CBS News, and My Crime Library. As usual, my sources will be linked in the show notes. In Florida's Pinellas Park, Rachel Wade was the wild child. She just sneaked out of her house at like 2 o'clock in the morning, come over to my house. Sarah Ludeman was the good girl. By all accounts, an excellent student. And Josh Camacho was the boy they both wanted. He played these two girls off each other like a violin and seemed to enjoy every moment of it. Just high school drama stuff. But then the drama turned deadly. I thought I could stab when you pulled that hair out. She's bleeding. Stop! Was it simply a case of self-defense? I just didn't want him to terrorize me anymore. Or was she willing to kill for love? This case took place in 2009 in Pinellas Park, Florida, a small town of mostly strip malls and restaurants. This case is heartbreaking because two young women's lives are ruined over a boy who didn't give a shit about either of them. Instead of holding him accountable, they turn their anger to each other. Here is a quick background of each person involved. Sarah Ludeman was born on December 7, 1990. She was described as a straight-A student, and she got along with her parents really well. Everything changed when she met Josh at a local fast food restaurant. Her friend said that Josh worked in the back and would flirt with Sarah before finally asking her out. Sarah's parents didn't like him, but they saw that Sarah was happy, so they decided to give him a chance. However, Sarah's grades suffered, and everything was all about Josh. Rachel Wade, the quote, other woman, was born on February 27, 1990. Rachel was described as a wild child who liked to sneak out at 2 to 3 a.m. to go to her boyfriend's homes. Before Josh, Rachel had a boyfriend named Nicholas who she moved in with when she was 15. Rachel's parents didn't seem to mind and wanted her to be happy. Rachel also dropped out of school and started working. She was described as immature and her relationship with Nicholas became violent. She punched me in the face and be like, whatever. I think she just wanted to do something to get control, you know? whether it's control of the conversation or the situation or anything. And on at least one occasion, frustrated that her punches failed to make an impression, Nicholas says their fight escalated even further. There's a lot of crazy times with me and that girl. She's held a knife to my throat before. In the summer of 2008, her relationship with Nicholas ended. She moved into her own apartment at 18 years old, got her GED, and started a job waitressing at Applebee's. She also started dating Josh, who she knew since elementary school. They reconnected at a party. Josh was described as a playboy. He had a baby with another girl and was dating both Sarah and Rachel. Rachel knew that Josh was seeing Sarah, but Sarah didn't find out until later. She only thought Rachel was a crazy ex. However, Josh would spend time with Sarah until her curfew and then go sleep over at Rachel's. He loved the attention he was getting, even though in my opinion he looked younger than both girls combined. The fights between the two girls started over MySpace. Rachel would say Sarah looked like a dog or that she was fat. And from what it seemed like in this episode, Rachel would be the one to say things to Sarah. Rachel also started calling and texting Sarah, leaving voicemails, and Sarah would ignore them until she had enough. 
It started with Sarah going to Rachel's job at Applebee's. But instead of texting and messaging Rachel online, she took the fight over Josh a step further into the real world. Rachel had the regular shift, I think, on Thursdays when they did karaoke at Applebee's. And so Sarah and her friends would come to karaoke, make up these sort of bad lyrics to the songs and sing them really loudly at Rachel to sort of taunt her. Other times, Sarah would purposefully sit in Rachel's section. She would knock the tray off, knock the plate off the table, you know, so that Rachel would have to clean it up. Rachel would be coming in with a big tray of food. Sarah would, like, bump her or hip check her and try to, you know, make her spill the food. But Rachel found ways to fight back. Rachel would, in return, sometimes, you know, spit in her food or, you know, put hair in her food. However, things were about to take a dark turn. On April 14th, 2009, Rachel told her friend Javier that she was outside walking her dog and heard a honk. Javier told her to come over and she grabbed a knife on her way out from her kitchen. Rachel also drove by Josh's house on her way over to Javier's and exchanged some messages with Josh. Javier said that Rachel had spent the entire night texting Josh and Sarah and that he heard her screaming on the phone. On April 15, 2009, in the early morning hours, a 911 call came in from Javier, Rachel's friend or ex-boyfriend in some reports. He said that there had been a fight and that someone was bleeding. Several other 911 calls came in as well. When the police arrived, a group of various teenagers were in the street and a minivan was parked on the side. Sarah was on the ground and unresponsive near her vehicle. An ambulance was called and Sarah was taken to the hospital. Next, the police separated witnesses. They all said that Rachel Wade had stabbed Sarah over a boy. The police asked the witnesses where Rachel was, and Rachel was found sitting on a bench smoking a cigarette. A police officer would later say that, that Rachel was calm and didn't seem concerned about what just happened. The police asked Rachel to come into the police station for a formal interview, but she was not under arrest. Before Rachel's interview started, the police received information that Sarah had died at the hospital around 2.20 a.m. She had been stabbed in the heart. The police withheld this information from Rachel. In the interrogation room, Rachel told the investigators that Sarah Ludeman had started harassing her the summer before, after she found out they were both seeing Josh Camacho. And that was only the beginning of Sarah's threats, according to Rachel. According to Rachel, Sarah had even harassed her at home, showing up outside her apartment one night with several friends. They came, like, up my stairs. They didn't actually try to, like, attempt to get in my house, but they were outside screaming, yelling at me. The police also spoke with Janet, Josh's sister, who said that Sarah wanted to fight Rachel and that she went with her to Javier's house. Rachel was outside when Sarah pulled up, and the two immediately started to argue. Janet said that Rachel immediately stabbed Sarah when she walked out of the car. Javier would later say that Rachel didn't have the knife, but that the two of them got into a cat fight first. As Rachel's interrogation continued, she told the police that Josh encouraged her to fight Sarah. He had he been giving Sarah the same encouragement, Rachel didn't know. Rachel said that she was protecting herself because Sarah threw the first blow. 
Rachel was then asked about the knife, and she said she ditched it at a neighbor's house. Witnesses said they heard Rachel say, quote, I'm done, end quote. The knife was eventually found on the roof. The police eventually told Rachel that Sarah was dead and that she was under arrest and charged with second-degree murder. He finally broke the news to her that Sarah was dead. I'm not going to follow you anymore because she's dead now. <laughs> Were those tears for Sarah or for Rachel? At the end of her interview, Pinellas Park Police placed Rachel under arrest. The police also interviewed Josh at the police station. Josh had told Sarah's dad what happened because Sarah called Josh after she was stabbed. The police described Josh as smug and proud of what happened. Josh told the police that he ended their relationship with Rachel months earlier. Josh said that he had been in contact with Rachel that night and that she said that she was going to beat Sarah's ass. He took her as being dramatic and brushed it off. Josh said he had no idea that Sarah was going to drive over to Javier's. The police didn't believe his story and confronted him with what Rachel said about him encouraging her to fight Sarah. He denied it. The police also asked Josh to look at his, if they could look at his messages, and he said his phone died and that he lost the messages. How convenient. The police also obtained the messages from Rachel and Sarah's phones, but Rachel's messages also disappeared and that they would have to get Sarah's password to retrieve her messages. Luckily, her parents didn't turn off her phone, and her friend Amber was able to give them the password. Once they got Sarah's password, they heard the threatening voicemails from Rachel. Keep talking, Sarah. You don't know when to stop. You haven't learned your lesson yet, but I'm teaching. That wasn't the only threat, either. I'm letting you know now, you're either going to get up or something of yours is, so watch the out. And one in particular sounded almost prophetic. I told you to watch your back and not kill him. Now you're out of mind and I'm guaranteeing you I'm going to murder you. On July 21st, 2010, Rachel's trial began. The prosecutor, Lizette Honowitz, told the jury that Rachel was anything but innocent and used Rachel's words against her. Tina Trey testified that Rachel seemed more concerned with her cigarette after the fight than she did with Sarah's well-being. The medical examiner said that great force would have to have been done to stab someone in the heart. Rachel's voicemails were also played. On July 22nd, the defense had their turn. The defense said that Rachel was afraid of Sarah and that Sarah would come into her work and taunt her. Javier testified that Sarah was the aggressor and that she threw the first blow. Josh was called to testify, and the defense blamed the entire thing on him. Josh told the court that he was just friends with benefits with both Sarah and Rachel, proving that he wasn't worth this. He showed no emotion or remorse for what happened. Rachel was called to testify and appeared emotional for the first time. In her testimony, Rachel did her best to put the voicemails into context. I was upset. I was getting harassing phone calls, just like she would tell me she was going to kick my ass. She said, well, you know. Sarah also left voicemails exactly like the one she left. I just, I didn't think when I said it, I just said it because I was upset and truthfully I wanted to scare her. According to Rachel, 
That was why she had a knife with her on the night Sarah died. What were you doing with the knife? At, when she was hitting me? Yes. I began to swing my arms back in retaliation. To defend her? Yes. The defense hoped that the jury would show sympathy for Rachel. On July 23, 2010, Rachel was found guilty of second-degree murder. The defendant is guilty of murder in the second degree as charged. On September 3, 2010, despite Sarah's family begging for the maximum sentence, Rachel was sentenced to 27 years in prison. She'll be eligible for parole in 2035. Her appeal was denied in 2012. Josh was never charged with anything. There's no proof that he did anything but lie to these girls. They fought over someone and two lives were ruined. Rachel also deserves her sentence, in my opinion. But I think without those voicemails or witnesses testifying, it probably would have gone a different way. I still don't know if Rachel's tears were over Sarah dying or her fate. My book recommendation for this week is Safe in My Arms by Sarah Shepard. Summary. When the principal of an elite California preschool is attacked, three moms who feel like outsiders among the school's manicured and ultra-wealthy community must work together to uncover what she's hiding, figure out who's trying to frame them, and make sure their own secrets stay hidden. Andrea, Lauren, and Ronnie all see themselves as good, loving moms who are trying their best, but they each arrive at the Silver Swans preschool welcome breakfast with something to hide. Andrea is running away from a past on the East Coast, which she cannot afford for the other parents to discover. Lauren is recovering from a postpartum condition her husband has warned her not to disclose, and Ronnie is hiding herself and her daughter from the one man who could at any moment appear in their lives and ruin everything she holds dear. They already feel like imposters among the school's community of polished parents, but then notes appear in their children's backpacks after the first day at school. Notes that indicate that someone knows their deepest, darkest secrets and needs them gone. Does someone not want them in the community, or is it something more menacing? Does someone know everything? When the principal of the school is the victim of an almost fatal attack, it quickly becomes clear that the Silver Swans community is not as flawless as the brochures and website would have you believe. The three moms must band together to uncover the school's many secrets before the other suspicious parents and town police close in and use their outsider status to blame them and before they lose what they have worked so hard for. So I was able to request this book on NetGalley and I couldn't put it down. Sarah Shepard is the author of Pretty Little Liars, so in its adult version of that. They all have secrets, they're trying not to reveal them, and they also receive messages and try to find out who is sending them before they're outed. I love books where I'm trying to constantly figure out who did it, just like the cases I cover. I give this book an 8 out of 10. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to my blog. Follow me on Instagram at It's Crime O'Clock Somewhere Blog Pod. Email me, rate, review, etc. I will be back next week with a brand new episode and book recommendation. And remember, it's Crime O'Clock Somewhere.